Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, where we try to not rate what we watched this week while talking. Full spoilers. There's a bit of a competition here. We try not to earn points. End of the season, person with the fewest points wins. We mostly say that for the gauntlet now, in the end. Mm-hmm. But the real reason we're here, Curtis, mm-hmm. you're here, right? I'm, I'm here. What did you watch this week? Uh, this week I watched uh, As Tears Go By... And uh, the other movie I watched this week was Pokemon, the first movie. So I'm going to talk about Eatmon and a fistful of dollars mm-hmm. as an Eastern approach to telling a story that appeals to a broader range of audiences and a fistful of dollars as a pseudo Western approach. So I'm going to like joint review those. Um, but Tick Tick Boom, Tick Tick Boom is its own thing. Okay. Let's talk about the relationship between Eatman and and Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars because there's virtually no relationship between these two movies. One was made in 2008. One of them was made in the 1960s. Both are telling the story of a legend in a sort of folktale breakdown of how they are the heroes that stand up to tyranny. A fistful of dollars you have Clint Eastwood's first outing as the man with no name. Yep. And his whole thing is I'm going to come in, prove him a really good hired gun, and not tell each of the competing gang and the rich family. He's going to work for both of them. And sort of not intentionally pit them against each other, but try and make money off of working for both of them until he gets what he wants and he leaves. But does cause them to fight, causes the sort of outlaw group to murder that family, and then sort of has to own up to what he's caused to happen. Yeah. And the real big deal here is the staples that you build of that genre and why Sergio Leone is the icon of Westerns. Okay. I was really hoping to get more of a sense of how stories are structured and written to appeal to a Western culture and how they are to an Eastern culture and be able to contrast these. But I've already seen it, man, it man too. It's a Rocky sequel. So, but, but the first one, the story is about this man who's a legendary expert of Wing Chun Mm -hmm. in a town called Foshan, which is, a collection of competing kung fu schools okay who all have their own style of kung fu and so you get this sort of sense of once upon a time uh you know a little thing happens and then you have the historic invasion of the japanese so there's not a a, a super conventional structure i would say that if you are telling this story the way it flows itman it's it's foundational with characters that sort of have a representation uh, or some sort of definition by a, a piece of culture or subculture. Hmm. And so their function in the story is to let you understand different things. So, for example, there's a martial arts student who trains under Iman. Okay. He works with him after the Japanese invade in a coal mine. And is always sort of the young go-getter, excited to be training martial arts with him kind of person. And is the one who brings up 
that the Japanese are letting some coal miners compete for rice to take home to their families. And everyone is starving because the place is war-torn, like, after a certain point in the movie. So you have, when everything feels safe, Mm -hmm. he's a super fan of the way that world works. And he takes that concept of structure and respect, like, oh, you've been beaten by so-and-so, so you've... He's regained respect for Foshan, uh, Eatman has, and now that person has to leave. Mm. And that's the way the world works. And so he sort of takes this this attitude of where he's learned a set morality that may or may not reflect the culture mm-hmm. of Foshan in China to where the Japanese are like making people fight for sport. And hmm. he's, he's the first one to sort of stand up. He, he just sees it as noble to fight to regain honor for himself and his family and this kind of thing. And then he's killed. He's beaten to death. He loses. This thing is so aggressively harsh and unforgivingly mean in its portrayal of the Japanese. Mm. The Japanese are more of a stand-in for the way... Uh, as, as the villain's not just as people, but villains as a culture versus another culture, which every main character is fighting to preserve. Okay. Um, eat men, happy life, and we fight martial arts, and that's how we earn respect. The Japanese came in, they have no honor, they murder people even when they win. I have to stand up and fight, and even though the odds are stacked completely against me and everyone's just going to shoot me whether I win or not, I'm going to fight the Japanese. I did it, I succeeded, even though they told me that I had to throw the fight or be killed. And then, he, because he is shot, doesn't die, but is shot... Uh, it causes everyone to rally and and fend off the Japanese from the town of Foshan. And, um, but those beats, it's, it's so like, it's like two halves of a movie. Where there's setups all over the first half of the movie, and then after the war has started in the second half of the movie, there's all these payoffs of what happened to that character who rolled into town after he got kicked away by Eatman. It's so odd. It's a person's real life. I'm not sure how much of this is true. But I, I don't think the point of it was to be true. I just think the point of it was to honor him by telling a story that is sort of stylizing things as an inspirational legend. And this is less cynical. The real difference between these two movies is cynical. A Fistful of Dollars is Lone Gunsman rolls into town, but then things get too serious, so he has to stand up begrudgingly and, and take leadership and, and you know take them out which you've seen a fistful of dollars yeah and so you've seen and you've seen um yojimbo yojimbo which is uh why in japanese uh akira kurosawa had the rights to distribute that movie for a long time because it was so he it was so <laughs> it, it's exactly it, it, it's, it's exactly yojimbo. It, it, it's exactly yojimbo there, there, there there's no getting around that now, I, I, I bought into the Western vibe. I'm not a big Western person, but this really, really sold me on the slow build-up of you, like, growing a grudge against the characters that you're supposed to want to root against. Hmm. And, uh, you know, this has an absolute iconic moment in it, which is the bit from Back to the Future. You know, he, he asks him to remember, aim for the heart. Mm, and like that, right. that's, that's, it's has two setups and a payoff. And I think that's why that works so well. It wasn't 
as telegraphed. He's like playing off of something earlier. And it's, yeah. It's nice. Um, I will say the value in comparing these two is the way some people used to look at the world and what was profitable and what we used to look at in the world was the acknowledgement that the world is a bad place and people can be awful. So we really want or need someone to stand up who just like infallibly exists outside of all of these rules and is incorruptible. Okay. And just sets things right. The only difference is Eat Man is a little less cynical and that the idea is your hero works for the good of others and for the, you know. Right. Well, he he, he has his moments, but Clint Eastwood's character is, is very much a loner who's out to make money. Yeah, it's like once he's killed everyone, he'll leave. Yeah. Eat Man is like once he's uh, successfully shown that this culture can't be stepped on the way people think it is and that has more worth than it is then everyone will rise up and change will happen. Pokemon the first movie. Pokemon the first movie is how it's pronounced. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Way This goes all the way back to my childhood. Uh, watching it this time around, I, 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 it got me thinking. Like the For the movie that shall not be named on, on this podcast and uh, like... Uh, that's kind of getting people too interested. It's just Space Jam. They're okay, like, fair enough. How how Space Jam and New Legacy was kind of like a cynical cash grab on all these IP that Warner Brothers had in their pocket. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon, the first movie, at least when I was watching this time, is basically what we would want a child a, a, a children's movie to be, where the actual core message is high, is highly important, and there's a morality tell. Mm. The whole movie is basically a stance against prejudice starts off with asking one of the biggest questions that 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 you can ask and like what is the meaning of life i think one of the actual lines is uh like chasing the pursuit of life's mysteries and you have mewtwo going throughout this whole intro uh asking what 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 what's my purpose what is my reason for being and then when everything that he knows comes crashing down uh the people that created him have betrayed him he was created to be a slave essentially and he decides that hey it's not what I'm meant meant to do. Fuck you, and literally kills everyone. That's just the thing. Is uh, you have Mewtwo in this kind of like cold environment, and then you you have of course Ash, who is the exact opposite of Mewtwo, and kind of like his his like everything that Mewtwo is um, um isn't Ash. Ash is he's he's a very like cheerful, uh, bright boy. Uh, he knows what 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 he's he knows what he wants to do. He's known it since a very young. Young, young age. Ten. Ten. Like the eternal age ten. The eternal age ten. Which, uh, and just his, and is endlessly in pursuit of that one goal, but never really at the expense of others. He's more helpful in a sense, I guess. But that, that's going more into the anime than it is the uh, movie. Well, outside of that, like I uh, mentioned earlier that the whole movie is basically a morality tale of about prejudice is, is, is bad and it's uh, mostly happens after you get to the island where Mewtwo goes on this uh, really uh, power-hungry monologue on how cloned Pokemon are better than the originals. They were born with powers far superior. As a kid, I, I, I would always, like, during the, the big climatic fight scene where, where, it's, where it's cloned against real Pokemon, mm-hmm. uh, I'd always try to figure out which was the 
original and which was the clone. Mm. And no matter how many times you watch this, you're never going to actually be able to, to pinpoint it because the point is they're at their core the same, literally. And there's this thing on the internet where the, the, the moral of the uh, story is fighting is bad is what I hear a lot. I just, just don't agree with that at all. There's like one little snippet I where... I mean, that's technically true. Because that's the only baseline thing that's true regardless of what you take away from it. Because what I was thinking of when you talk about the clones is it's weird. Pokemon, the first movie, is technically a step forward from something like Frankenstein. We okay. created this life. Does it have worth and merit the same way as something naturally created? Okay. The the tragedy, the appeal that Frankenstein is the idea is, yeah, life has worth and everyone else is calling that an abomination. But also... The story of Frankenstein is about someone who tried to play God and suffered for it. So, this is a story that says, if we push through, we'll suffer, but it's worth it. And then, at the same time, you have what you were talking about, about prejudice, about how the immediate instinct is it. Regardless of any of that stuff, like what your interpretation or how you go into it, the core base of all of that is... The, the source of conflict is these people are choosing violence to solve their problems. Mewtwo chooses violence to solve his problems at the beginning, continues to choose violence to solve his problems. The way the climax is happening is these characters are choosing violence to solve their problems. And it's, not, it's only when they stop that dominoes fall for everybody. Okay. It's just something that I, I never thought of it as, as a movie telling people that fighting is bad. Like... like um, that's fine and, but remember movies can be more than yeah 10,000 things every time I go back to it I always I'm, I'm always worried that am I gonna like it still like it, it, it has my brain evolved to a point where I'm just going to think it's bad and it's stupid and that still hasn't happened at age 31 so mm. tick tick boom okay is the story of Jonathan Larson. So it's an adaptation of a play that's an adaptation of a person's life. Mm -hmm. And it's directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. He is a very competent director, but I feel like there's so much inspiration and, and layout for what these visuals should be that it's most more a credit to his choreography than like his eye as a filmmaker. Okay. The characters and the performances are all pretty grounded and real. When they're not singing, it's like they're living in a normal life. Okay. But the events that pass fold back and forth into being surreal because you're looking at everything through Jonathan Larson's perspective. Mm -hmm. So the one spot in the movie that I genuinely was not a fan of I still have to respect, I think, the point of it. Okay. Uh, he works at the Moondance Diner. Uh, for human beings out there who aren't just geeks, that's the infamous Moondance Diner in New York. Uh, for people like myself, it's that diner that Mary Jane works at in Spider-Man 1. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he works there in order to, you know, make enough money to live in a, in a small apartment as he is writing. Then while he's working at the Moondance Diner one day, he finds out a friend of his is in the hospital because his T-cell count is ridiculously low. 
And he's also just been told he has to write, like, the linchpin song of his whole thing within, like, a day. And he desperately wants to quit working, but he can't. And it's Sunday brunch, so it's this crazy, busy time full of entitled, self-important customers. And it's it's already a hard day on top of a hard day on top of a hard day. Hmm. So he starts to sing about Sunday brunch, and it turns to the most stage-performed musical number that completely steps outside of reality where the customers are speaking to you, and and it's just like, it's that sense that I can't usually get through in musicals where the point of the music is to stop, do a little dance number around a point that's already been made before the, pro- the pacing can continue. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but admit that I knew as soon as it started happening... He's trying to cope with the day. Huh. He would move in his head to li- try and listen to and write music in his head and focus on these things to cope with frustrations around him. So you almost know that because this is so removed from reality, okay, that's how hard things are for the person. The same thing happens when he's having a fight with his girlfriend, but on a much smaller note. It's intercut with the framing device. The framing device is... They directed the stage play Tick, Tick, Boom, basically. So Jonathan Larson and his friends, everyone would sit on a stage. And so Andrew Garfield's there and the piano's there and everyone's on a stage acting out, telling the story as you would see it on a stage play. Then you cut back and forth to what's going on in his real life. Mm -hmm. Then you cut to some of the ideas and more surreal bits. You know, like everything is represented on film, but... It's like adding a visual imaginative component to just the stage play. Anyways. Okay. In life, he starts to have an argument with his girlfriend. So it cuts to the stage play where he's doing the sing song about modern relationships and how complicated and messy everything is. And that's that layer. Those beats are in between arguing between him and his girlfriend Mm. at the point where they are broken up okay so there you can see it in a sense that like you're escaping to the music through tension in the moment every like it's it's the character lives and breathes music so we're watching him live and breathe music and so you are starting knowing you're about to watch the play of my life this is my view and my vision then you dive into it and you're constantly held in his state of mind and that's why I think it's sort of immune to some criticism. Some criticism. Okay. It's so weird. It's like if you think about any friend you know, mm-hmm. who everybody knows is an amazing singer, mm-hmm. and they give you a gift of one of their albums for free with their autograph on it so you can resell it. Like you're, you're friends with a famous singer, right? Mm-hmm. So they give you a very valuable object. And you look at it and you go, this is too big. That's what criticizing the movie is kind of like. It's... Okay. Yeah, like, I, I, you can criticize people around it and actors in it and things like that. But just, like, the story itself is so clear and I thought, uh, you know, like, really powerful. And it's just... By watching one person's personal experience of why it's worth it to just keep going because life is too short, you realize that it's true for everybody. Jonathan Larson 
directed Rent. Mm-hmm. Rent is the play he's the most famous for. The night that Rent premiered on Broadway, mm-hmm. that based on this movie, the dream that he has to just like eat, suck up, and grind for, the night it came true was like the day after he died of an aneurysm. And this is that person's story of telling you why it's so important to shoot for what you want and not let yourself live so long in destructive relationships that tear you down and not let yourself, uh, you know, waste time looking around, seeing other people make decisions for how the world is run around you and you do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... I don't know. It's important, I think. But it's also a musical. It's fun. Okay. You chose As Tears Go By, directed by Wang Gawei. Mm-hmm. For the gauntlet. For the gauntlet, okay. So remember, if you say anything subjective, you're wrong, no matter what. <laughs> because things are only objectively good or bad in this world. According to Twitter. So, Curtis, is the movie good or bad? Um, there are, there are aspects of this movie that I liked more than others. So mixed? Good job, not answering that. So, what was your favorite scene? Favorite scene, um, in this movie there, that you have the main actor and, and you have kind of like, a bumbling side character that 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 is that is the main actor's un- underling. There's there's a moment in the movie where where uh, he gets his uh, I don't want to say comeuppance, but I, I can't because that would imply that he's getting what he deserves. Wrong. Yeah, uh, where he kind of gets revenge on on this uh, uh, f- other boss head, I guess um, for kind uh, kind of like. Uh, making his life a living hell throughout the entire movie, and it, it's a uh, one one of the more comedic scenes for me, I guess. Okay, a scenes exists, and for you, it was comedic. Mm-hmm. What would you cut out of this movie? Uh I don't. I mean, there's no way for me. I I, I, I I would get rid of the the cousin love interest. And I mean, I, I don't like that aspect of the film at all. But you know, like keep the love. Well, I mean, keep the um, keep keep the love interest, but don't make her the guy's cousin. It's uncomfortable for me. Best actor, worst actor. Best actor, worst actor. Um, the guy that stands out the most to me was pro. I mean. Yeah, it's probably the um, probably the the lead actor. I can't remember his name. He goes through a whole range of emotion throughout the whole whole movie, and um, at least for me, it made it believable. Then the worst act, I don't know, maybe the uh, ex girlfriend of the main guy was 
Oh, damn it. Uh, whatever. So I've already got the point. Was a little bit... I don't want to say one note, but she expressed two different emotions at two different times. One one was anger, and then one was kind of uh, let go, I guess. But I'm trying to think of the other way to put that that last one. But, you know, she was, like, free, in a sense. Uh, like, like, at peace is a better way to put it. Yeah, at peace. Give your favorite quote from the movie. I can't think of a single line that stands out. What would you add? I mean, I've already said what I would add. Um... Uh, I don't know, like, the guy is, is, like, in this kind of, like, gang, and it's kind of him choosing between going with a, a normal life with the romantic interest and staying with the gang, and he's kind of being pulled between it. I never got a notion that he was torn between the two, so I would maybe add in a little bit more context to that. Okay. What did you enjoy about the it as a, just a story? It's a kind of like grimy crime drama, and I, I'm I'm all and that's one of the, the those uh, genres that I'm almost always interested in. So, did you learn anything about making movies? Did it make you like? What did you think about this movie for movie making? Something I posted on Twitter not too long ago said I, it's impressive on how clear Wan Kar Wai had a vision for his uh, films, and it, it shows. I, I guess stick with your gut. What would make you watch this again? So many things, I guess. Like, there's... Damn it. Um, with Wong Kar Wai's films, there's... I, I, I always get the impression that, that, that there's more to it than, than I get on my initial viewing. On top of that, with the, just with the cinematography and, and, and the way that, that he frames things, it's, it's always pleasing to look at. So, is that... I already got the point for that. Yeah, but I couldn't decide on that point from earlier, so... Would Nicolas Cage have improved this movie? I can't see any part in this movie where Nicolas Cage would would feel in. I I, I, I think he would stand out in a film like 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 this. It just feels off to have to. to ah! Sorry. <laughs> well, it feels off. Yeah, he, he would stand out like like a sore thumb in in in, in this film, or I think cool. any one car wide movie. But you know. All right. So, here's my thing. It's not like somebody usually goes, we need someone to be the romantic lead. Well, he has cousins. Like, yeah, like so there's got to be some sort of uh, purpose, context. Now, like, that's the thing, is uh, the whole point of the love interest in this movie is, is for him to, like, uh, he's been in the syndicate, in this kind of, like, crime gang since he was uh, 14, young, young, young. And this is him trying to decide whether he wants to have that normal life or stick with what he knows. Mm. And it doesn't have to be a cousin for it to do that. Mm. So I... I just, uh, yeah, I don't know, but it, like, it, it makes me think of like... It makes me think of Memories of Murder and how watching the special features on that made me feel like I know nothing. Mm-hmm. And I love that feeling sometimes. Yeah. When I watch Memories of Murder, the fact that the villain is feminine mm-hmm. would not have has have occurred to me as as a significant comment on anything it wouldn't I, to me I, I completely missed the context in that movie of fragile masculinity and criticisms of traditional masculinity 
and uh, like completely went over my head yeah. until pointed out, and then it seems so obvious that it felt me like. And so I'm that test that I, I I've been trying to follow. I guess I'll, I'll maybe watch as tears go by soon because I feel like there's there's probably some context to it. There's probably some something, and that's that's to me when it comes to watching any movie directed by for and in a, a culture that's like foreign to me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to blank out and want to learn and understand things from it, but yeah, but like on like I mentioned earlier, and I uh, like how like even early on this feels very Juan Carvajal. He had a very clear idea and vision of what he wanted his films to look like, mm-hmm. and it just I I think it's in, in uh, just impressive on on just like how far back that goes because this is in in eighty eight, mm-hmm. and I I I've seen three of his movies now, no four. This is the fourth one, and they're all very consistent in look, feel, and tone. He does. He has these things he latches onto, and then there's projects that he just sort of whew, like you know moves his way through emotionally. And he's made one movie in uh, America, uh, My Blueberry Nights, and I'm going to watch that soon, too. Thank you all for listening. This is This Film Not Rated. We are, again, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, so go over to the other film critics and and the other... um, fantasy football players, and uh, all of the people that we have on our team, and say hello from us. You get candy if you do that. I'm Eric. You can follow me at HighContrastFLM on Twitter and at High underscore Contrast underscore EWL on TikTok. And I'm Curtis. You can follow me at 90sGamer407 on Twitter and on Twitch at Merrick underscore Tainment, where I stream video games every Tuesday and Thursday from 11.30 to 2 in the morning, and I do an anime watch party every Friday at the same time. 